Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a new podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Juliet Lucas. I'm a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, and I'm excited today. We are here with Amber Athey, the Washington editor for Spectator USA, and Tony Blankley Fellow here at the Steamboat Institute. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amber. Thanks for having me. So just to get started, let's hear a little bit about you, your background, your career history. What got you interested in journalism? Sure. So I grew up uh, in Western Maryland and ended up going to school at Georgetown University. And I actually wasn't really interested in journalism. I wanted to do something a bit more policy focused. My degree was in economics and government. So initially I was applying to think tanks and wanting to do economic research and I wasn't really having uh, a very easy time finding a job. <laughs> so I decided to expand my net a little bit and be a little bit less picky about what I was looking for. And it turns out that most of the job offers I ended up receiving were from news outlets. Um, so I ended up deciding that I would try it for six months a year. And if I didn't like it, then I could always find something else, find another job. And I had a little bit of experience writing before at my local newspaper, actually, which is called the Walkers, the Woodsboro Walkersville Times, a very small circulation of like 5,000 people, but I would write a monthly political column for them. Um, so I figured, you know, I've, I've written before for a newspaper. I'm going to try this out, see how it goes. I actually ended up really loving it. Uh, my first job was with campus reform. So I was covering liberal bias on college campuses which obviously was a very hot topic at the time in 2016. There were no shortage of stories about the crazy things that were going on with safe spaces and trigger warnings and all of that campus nonsense. So I was there for about a year and really just kind of honed my journalism skills. I learned about uh, journalistic ethics and just the very basic parts of being a reporter. And I was able to take that experience into the rest of my career. And I'm really grateful to myself for being willing to take that risk and try something new because it turned into a career. Wonderful. So when you first started in journalism, would you identify as a conservative or did something about just the way the bias that you were seeing on campus, how did that change your perspective of how politics influences journalism? Yeah, I, I would say I've, I've always been pretty open about the fact that I'm conservative. It's definitely not a secret. I was the chair of the College Republicans at Georgetown. So anyone who did a basic, you know, Google search of me would know where I stood politically. And of course, campus reform is part of the Leadership Institute, which does market itself as a conservative uh, nonprofit. So, you know, there's always I've always had my political leanings sort of attached to my journalism. And I think that's a lot more honest than what a lot of the mainstream journalists do nowadays where they do have these really left-leaning political opinions, but they pretend to be unbiased or they pretend to be nonpartisan. And as a result, it, it really uh, depletes trust between the reader and the journalist because the reader knows 
that they're being lied to essentially because this person is is trying to hide the fact that they do that they are approaching stories from this um, certain political perspective. So my view was always I'd rather be honest with the people who are reading my work. If me being a conservative is a reason for them to discount my reporting, then that's on them. But I'm going to present the facts and present all the information and they can decide what to do with that. So you were part of the White House press corps in the previous years. Can you tell us a bit what's that? What was that like? What was that experience like? Sure. Yeah, I actually just rejoined a couple of months ago, which is exciting. Uh, The Spectator is new in the United States. It's the oldest magazine in the world, but we just uh, established our presence in the United States a couple of years ago. So I started the process of getting them into the White House press corps. And then I was a member for a year when I was at the Daily Caller covering the White House. Um, It's certainly a very interesting experience. Uh, It's, I would say, uh, definitely difficult at times because the other outlets that are more established and perhaps are more considered more mainstream outlets like the CNNs and MSNBC, Politico, kind of looked down on independent outlets. They looked down on conservative outlets. And so it does take time to establish a good working relationship with the other people in the press corps. You really have to show that you're there for the right reasons and you're not just going to be, you know, a bomb thrower that's trying to blow up the whole system. Um, I found that making sure that you just abide by the rules of the organization and treat everybody there with respect, the same respect that you would want back has been the best way to, Um, really build those relationships. And as a result, even though I criticize a lot of the media for the way that they portray certain stories and the way that they covered the Trump administration, they do know that if I go in there and let's say I'm on pool duty for a day that I'm going to get the job done and they can expect accurate reporting from me. Do you have a favorite story or a favorite story that you covered or favorite op-ed that you wrote? What do you think has so far been the most interesting or just the most fun thing to research and write about? Sure. That's a great question. Uh, I guess there are a couple. I had the opportunity to be featured on the cover of the Spectator magazine in July. It was my first feature, which was very exciting because I had just started writing for a print magazine less than a year, actually about six months before that. And the cover story was about Jared Kushner and his influence in the Trump administration Obviously, he's the president's son-in-law, which gave him a lot of power. And so I really just talked to people close to him and people in and outside of the White House to get their perspective on how he's actually using that power, what types of policies he's promoting, whether or not he actually believes in President Trump's agenda or whether he was more using his position to advance his own uh, political priorities. And so it was a very interesting piece. I got a lot of really, really great feedback on it. And it was just really cool to see, you know, my name on the cover of a magazine with some artwork that was made specifically for my piece. Um, and then another story that I worked on with The Spectator that I really loved was about uh, the PPE shortages back at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. And I discovered from a source in the Trump administration that Italy had donated personal protective equipment to China at the very beginning of the pandemic before the coronavirus started spreading to other countries. However, when the coronavirus eventually spread to Italy, China actually forced Italy to buy back the same PPE 
that they had donated to China. So China profited off of Italy's generosity. Um, that story was huge internationally. It didn't get as much play in the United States, but the Italian government <laughs> released a statement claiming that it was fake news. Um, the Chinese foreign uh, propaganda, propaganda minister uh, tweeted at the, about the story claiming that the uh, spectator was making up lies. And so I'm sure I'm on a watch list in China now, which is a badge of honor, well, honestly. Though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Given, uh, you know, China's uh, relationship with the U.S. now, I think that's a badge of honor. So that was really neat. Um, just being able to have a story that has imp impact in, in the world beyond the United States. That was really the first time that had happened for me. Okay. So let's talk a bit about The Spectator. You mentioned it's the oldest newspaper in the world, but it's just getting introduced to America. What, how did that happen? And what drew you to wanting to work with them? Right. So The Spectator is a UK-based publication, and it is the oldest magazine in the world. They had started to branch out the publication to other countries. So there's an Australia edition that's a little bit older than the U.S. edition. And they launched the U.S. edition, I believe, in 2018. Um, that was when they launched the website. And then they launched the magazine in fall of 2019, that was when I first got in contact with them. I wasn't super familiar with The Spectator. Um, I think it's fair to say maybe not a lot of America Americans are. And they had a launch party in D.C. I ended up meeting a few of the editors and just really loved their approach to journalism. It was um, a similar approach to the one I have and one that The Daily Caller had when I was working there, which is that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, there's so many people in media who want to be the story they think that it's about them getting famous. And when people criticize them, they, uh, you know, they go off the rails. They have no sense of humor. And I've always looked at media as we are all very privileged to work in this industry. You know, being able to sit at a desk all day and write stories is a really cushy job, actually. I mean, yes, there are hard times. If you're a war reporter, obviously this doesn't apply to you. But if you get to go to the White House every day and watch the president board Marine One and you get to watch the helicopter take off on the South Lawn and then you go back to your warm office and you write a story about it. I mean, that's that's a lot of privilege. I think that's a really great job. And people complain so much in the industry and, you know, treat themselves as, as these brave heroes. It really blows my mind as someone from a working class background watching, you know, family members destroy themselves physically because they they work in, in manual labor, I feel that I'm very, very lucky to, to work in the industry that I do. So um, I really felt some camaraderie with the some of the writers for The Spectator because they took, you know, a similar, they have a similar mindset, which is that all of this moral preening and sort of navel gazing among the media is all pretty silly and we should be able to make fun of it. Um, but we also will do serious reporting and we'll write great opinion pieces, um, but we're just never going to, to take ourselves that seriously. Sounds like a good policy. So about the coronavirus, which has been huge and been going on for at least a year, what's it been like being an active working journalist under the pandemic conditions? Yeah, it's certainly been a lot different. One of the reasons that it actually took me so long to get back into the White House press corps is uh, because so many of the communication shops were really shut down. Um, in order to get into the White House press corps, you first have to have a congressional press pass. And the congressional press office was closed for quite some time because of COVID. 
So I had to wait for that to reopen. Uh, and then of course, scheduling a time to actually get in and get your pass is difficult. And uh, even still, the White House is very restricted on who can actually go in. So I haven't really been to, I've been to the White House once in the past year, um, which is pretty absurd. Usually I'd go at least a couple of times a week, but uh, the Biden administration has actually introduced even stricter restrictions on who can go into the White House. The Trump administration, you technically could, any reporter could go in, but you were expected to social distance and wear a mask. Um, I personally chose not to go because I didn't feel like I absolutely needed to be there unless I was covering a specific event. And so out of respect for my colleagues, I didn't go. But now every reporter who goes to the White House under the Biden administration has to have a negative COVID test and you have to get your test on site. The problem is, is that they are restricting how many tests are available each day. So there are only 80 tests available each day. And when you count people who are in the print pool, people who are in the travel pool, and these other various institutions that have to be at the White House daily as reporters, that doesn't leave very many left for people who are just going out of their own volition independently. And so they've actually introduced a lottery system for COVID tests for the remaining reporters. So it's a very difficult system to even just get in right now. And I think, I'm not sure what the system is like for Congress. I don't go to Capitol Hill quite as much as I would the White House. I think it's not quite as strict. I think it's more that you just have to social distance, but otherwise you can get in as long as you have a press pass. But I've basically just been working from home for the past, pretty much the past year now, um, which is fine. I can do everything from home. You know, I can write stories from home. I can call sources from home. I can do Skype hits from home. So it, it's been a little bit frustrating because I do like to meet people in person and be able to go to press briefings and ask questions. Um, but for the most part, my job has been relatively unchanged, uh, which I'm very grateful for. So just because we're coming to the end of our interview here, do you have any thoughts for aspiring journalists, especially aspiring conservative journalists? What would be your advice to these young people who want to get into the industry, but they're not really sure what they should do? Yeah, the number one piece of advice I always offer young conservative journalists is that you need to put in the work first before you can expect to start publishing your personal opinions at some of these larger outlets. I think there's kind of this expectation from uh, people from kids in college. And I know this because I had the same expectation that you're going to immediately uh, be able to publish an opinion piece in the National Review or in Wall Street Journal. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, it's a lot more effective to learn how to actually report the news and become a really good journalist first. And then people will start coming to you for your opinion because you'll prove that you're maybe an expert on a certain beat or you've done really good reporting on a certain topic. Um, and just paying your dues really to the industry goes a long way to earning the respect of people who have been there for a long time and will uh, raise your profile much more quickly than if you're trying to, you know, go to the top tier right away. That sounds like good advice. Well, thank you for so much for coming on to our Liberty Chats podcast today. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode.